You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Mmm, Fem. Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, fam fam. Are you guys enjoying this season so far? Because I know we are. <laughs> yes. What's um, up, what's up? We have we- more amazing guests for you today, of course, as always. Um, today, we've got two producers in the docu space, um, which we don't have a lot of documentary filmmakers on the show, or at least haven't yet. Um, we've had a couple, but it's always interesting to us because that's not our space, you know, like the end. It's while there are a lot of similarities between fiction and nonfiction and documentaries and, you know, all of that, but there's a lot of differences too. And it's, it's a whole different world really. And it's a whole different way of storytelling. So we like to have some documentary, documentarists, is that a word? It's going to be now. (laughs) It's going to be now. (laughs) On our show on occasion. So today we have producers, Eric Nelson and Jewel Polovac. And they are the producers of Diary of a Grizzly Man, which is based on Timothy Treadwell's story. He lived with these grizzly bears in Alaska and was up close and personal with them. You know, he was host and cameraman, like living with them, really interacting in their space. So if you're into like, you know, just animal documentaries and and, and nature, uh, all of that, you know, that world, like, this is for you guys, because it's just, it's incredible what he was able to do. And I will not tell you the spoiler, but I will say the end of it is a lot. (laughs) So get ready for like an epic journey with Timothy Treadwell. And also, I want to mention, some of you may know the name Werner Herzog as a filmmaker, and he created Grizzly Man, which is the feature version of Treadwell's story, but told through Werner's perspective or Werner's Mm -hmm. eyes. Um, Whereas this Diary of a Grizzly Man is a three-part series that is really just all completely from Treadwell's own, you know, diary and his own photography and all of that. So it's kind of cool. You can get both perspectives if you want to watch both of them, if the story really interests you. And in this interview, you know, we go into not just Treadwell and his story and what this film is all about, but documentary make it film the gonna edit that out but documentary filmmaking in general and you know why what draws us to it and what draws filmmakers Mm -hmm. to creating it well said tessa this is why i let her lead these intros well done girl (laughs) no guys like she encapsulated that beautifully uh yeah if you guys love um to watch documentaries even this just helps you understand what research and time goes into making one as well um, and just, yeah, what what the passion behind it is, too. So we know you guys will enjoy. 
so welcome, Eric and Jewel. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Um, we're, Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. We're really excited to talk to you guys today because we don't have a lot of documentary filmmakers on the show, or we haven't yet. Um, and this is a world that Carolina and I aren't personally a part of, but it's we're very interested in because so many things are so similar to narrative fictional filmmaking, but so many things are also so different. So we're excited to talk to you guys about your experience. And of course, today we're going to talk about Diary of a Grizzly Man, but I want to get started with how you both got started even before this particular film. Jewel, do you want to go first? Um, sure. I really was very new to any kind of documentary filmmaking. I was always in the hospitality business until Timothy died. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with there was a lot of controversy around it, surrounding his death. And there were um, a lot of offers for people, you know, wanting to do different shows. And Eric had already, um, Eric was working on a series, I believe it was called Anatomy of a Bear Bite. Anatomy of a yeah, anatomy of a blank bite. A yeah, it was like a bite, bite series kind of. Mm -hmm. And they we um, we collaborated on that. Part of it was um, focused on Timothy, and then Eric was the one who decided, or, or who approached me about um, doing a, a documentary, and that was the first time that I have ever really done anything like that. And I pretty much handed over to him because he can tell you a lot more. Yeah. So Jules major documentary credit. Uh, uh, she quit while you're, she was ahead. Grizzly man was her first producer credit in documentaries. Mm -hmm. It was also my first feature documentary credit though. Prior to grizzly man, I had uh, something like, 25 years of experience in nonfiction, mm -hmm. television specials, other documentaries, always nonfiction though. Mm. So uh, I, the feature documentary world, Grizzly Man was my first film and I've since sort of abandoned commercial television and doing almost exclusively feature documentary work from uh, now on. So I've been in this world a way too, much longer than I care to admit. Yeah. <laughs> For our listeners, could you explain um, what Grizzly Man was about? Uh, well, Grizzly Man was based on the life, work, and tragic death of Timothy Treadwell, who uh, for 13 summers lived amongst grizzly bears and filmed his own film. He filmed his own documentary of his life with the bears. And when wow. he uh, was attacked and killed by the bears in 2003, it became an international news story. And I had a hunch that in that footage, there was, uh, there was a film lurking there. Mm. And I had met Werner Herzog at a film festival and we had sort of become pals and one thing led to another. And I enlisted him to do the film, which he very much wanted to do. And that was my first I did three, four films with Werner Herzog, uh, Grizzly Man, uh, Encounters at the End of the World, Cave of Forgotten Dreams, and Into the Abyss. And we've since now gone our separate ways professionally, but we stay close and work together. And Diary of the Grizzly Man is, Grizzly Man is the making of, in some ways, Diary of the Grizzly Man. Mm. Diary of the Grizzly Man is the film Treadwell is making out there. And it's taken 17 years to get it where it needs to go. Wow. And uh, we're speaking on the day it's finally being released. And <laughs> Timothy Treadwell is the director of the film. And it's safe to say that he literally died to make this movie. Yeah. This is his life's work. 
restored and captured in three hour shows. Wow. Three hour mini, three hour films, basically, a three hour mini series, if you will. And how amazing is that, that, you know, he put everything into this film that he was making, died before it was able to be put out there. And it's, it's now like in his honor, getting to be finished and put out there and people get to really see what he was creating. You know, that's well, amazing. We, well, it is. And he had written diaries when he was in the field. Jewel can talk about this, but he was a, very much a master communicator. Mm -hmm. And he wrote diary entries about his experiences in the wild. And those became the script. So as he wow. would write at night about what had happened during the day, we had the footage that he had shot and we married the two together. So this is really in his words and his images. Wow. There's no there's no intervention between uh, there's no as few barriers as possible between what Treadwell intended in his film. Mm -hmm. uh, he might have made some different choices, but had he made the film at the time of if he had made the film 15 years ago, it wouldn't look as good as it does now right. because we were able to digitally restore the footage and bring it into widescreen and sharpen it up and make it look a lot better than it was originally photographed on a souped up home video camera back in 2000, <laughs> 2001, 2003. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. And how much of this um, was kind of taken from Grizzly Man by Werner Herzog versus... None. There's not a okay. single frame. Okay. There's not a single duplication. Yeah, it's all it's all new footage from what was in Grizzly Man. It's okay. an entirely... Grizzly Man is really the making of this film. Mm -hmm. Grizzly Man focused on Timothy Treadwell, his personality, his interior monologues, and his... Uh, his perspective of nature, Treadwell's perspective of nature, and Herzog's perspective of nature, which are very different. So the film's kind of a making of slash debate between Werner Herzog and Timothy Treadwell about nature. And Diary of the Grizzly Man is an immersion into the world that Treadwell lived in in the wild, what he was experiencing day to day, living amongst grizzly bears and foxes. That's amazing. Wow. That's something I don't feel like we often get, you know, um, is such a, like a, a deeper exploration with different footage and um, uh, from a different point of view, almost really, you know, into a person's life and what they, and what they did. And it's just really cool to get to see that from, you know, like you said, like kind of the making of version and then like his diary version of things. So, you well, know, both, both films, both films, they, they either could be screened uh, in either order, mm -hmm. you could screen Diary of the Grizzly Man and then see what was going into making Diary of the Grizzly Man. You could screen Grizzly Man first and then Diary of the Grizzly Man, or you can screen either one of them. They're two separate films documenting the same extraordinary person uh, and what he was doing out there. And it's unique. No one's going to ever, ever do what Timothy Treadwell did, yeah. I think, live among. No, theirs. they wouldn't really be given the opportunity. It wouldn't. I don't think it would really be allowed now. I mean, you could do it, but you would have to take a bastion of cameras and people and equipment and everything. And he just did it all there, all by himself. I mean, when we started, all we had was really a fax machine, and he kind of grew through getting um, getting sponsorships from better camera places. Like Minolta was a big sponsor, and then he moved into the video. And then we finally got a satellite phone, but that's how we communicated. I mean, 
like back in the day, there was no internet, there was no streaming, there was no webcams or anything. He just was at it every single day. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it's really cool too, because people can do that now. You know, right. you, you, can, you can document every moment of your life if you want, mm -hmm. but then you couldn't. So I, I feel like it's kind of like the beginnings of, I don't know what you would call it, the selfie or the iPhone photo or the sort of- The um, YouTube vlogger, like yeah, kind of exactly. documenting yeah, your day. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The document your world. And he, that's exactly what he did. Mm -hmm. That is so fascinating. Jewel, what for you in, because- Eric was starting to say that really drew you to his narrative and perspective. What like got you, were you piecing all of that together yourself or do you guys have like a, a, a producer producing like the, the script from the diaries? Well, it pretty much, it started back when we were doing Grizzly Man mm -hmm. and we went through all of his diaries and, you know, he was pretty, I mean, there was a definite, Eric had an awesome team. I had done some myself, but Eric had an awesome team that really, that really, I guess, archived and chronicled everything together. So we could definitely match up what was happening in, in his quote unquote script yeah. and what he had actually filmed. And there were hundreds I mean, hundreds of, probably over a hundred hours. And Eric's team probably like the things you see in Grizzly Man were cold down to about, what would you think, Eric, maybe- Well, we boiled down, Werner four. made it clear what he was interested in. Mm -hmm. And that was about 10 hours of material. So yeah. Werner dealt with about 10 hours of the material that turned into the hour and a half of Grizzly Man. And for the three hours of Diary of the Grizzly Man, we went, we attacked the other 90 hours. Mm -hmm again, wow. using Treadwell's diary as a narrative guide. Yeah. So that was kind of the script that uh, a close friend of Timothy Treadwell's, uh, Warren Queenie, read his diary. So we uh, asked Warren, who knew was an actor who had a, has a great narrative voice to read Treadwell's diaries. But every word and every image is from Treadwell. And uh, diary also features a number of the stills. So he got right up with a beautiful 35 millimeter camera and was taking pictures of these animals a few feet away, mm -hmm. not using a telephoto lens. And we were able to use that. Uh, that we didn't, there were hardly any stills in Grizzly Man, but uh, Diary of the Grizzly Man showcases just his ravishing nature photography. That's yeah, he took over 10, I have probably archived that I did myself about 10,000 images. Oh and my I goodness. Mean, I mean, I've culled it down to probably about a thousand because, you know, he was, he had, you know, you, sh you shoot maybe 10 of the same thing, mm -hmm. just super fast. So right. there's, there's just, there's a lot, there's a lot of photography. There's a lot of stills out there. Someone mentioned the other day, if he had been alive, he would have been like Instagramming them. <laughs> everything. Yeah. Because um, there really wasn't, again, there wasn't a platform. So I'm super excited about Grizzly, Diary of the Grizzly Man coming out for kind of a whole new generation. Like, people like yourselves mm -hmm. right no that is super you know, right? inspiring because again like we haven't had many uh documentary uh filmmakers on our show and it's like how do you get into that what kind of draws inspiration to you to or the tools to get started and it's really we're yeah. so blessed to have the technology to use our own iphones if we want um and you can view like your own 
you know, YouTube channel in that way too, if if that's what you're trying to, you know, do a diary every day. So there's sure, a lot exactly. of ways to go about it. But I that was my question. The next question was gonna be how much of the footage and content you had. And yeah, definitely I think um this is probably very common when you're doing a documentary and getting research done. You're going through logs and logs of footage, information, articles. Um, so it's 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 nice to hear it from your end, like what tangible resources you had to work with. And wow, it's it's still astronomical. <laughs> well, so yeah, much. and it's I mean, imagine that. I mean, now there's a phone. You know, you just scroll through, you put it up on a big screen, you decide what you want. There, mm-hmm. it's you know, you you get a light box and you put a slide on there, and you know, it might be perfect, but it might not, and you can't just go in with a Photoshop or something and and fix it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can now but you couldn't, you couldn't back then. Everything was so hands-on. So just the sheer amount of tenacity it took for him to be out there in the cold, in the rain, in the weather, you know, with, with his cameras and then coming back and actually developing every single one. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, again, it's kind of a lost perhaps art. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's kind of back though. I heard people like to buy old film now. Yeah. yeah, I mean, people yeah. definitely do it as, as a hobby, but you know, especially with nature photography, like I, I grew up obsessed with Animal Planet, so I was always watching shows, you know, like that, and I always thought, like, okay, there's you know the host that's doing all this stuff, but like the camera guys, like you know, they're all yeah. in the midst of it too. But the difference is, you know, a lot of times they are using like a telephoto lens, so it looks like they're really close up, but they're actually not. Right. You're saying that he was right up there, you know, with the animals because he was both being cameraman and, you know, host and all of these things, which is really unique, I think. Exactly. And and today with the technology today is still would be a phenomenal uh, achievement of Treadwell because even today, no matter what he had, he still put himself in the middle and was dealing three feet away from grizzly bears. A, no one would ever allow that to happen. If he was doing a live Instagram, a park ranger would arrest him and escort him off of the preserve yeah. and yes. w- he would have been banned. He couldn't have done it. So no one's ever going to do this again, I think. Um, the only thing that technology allowed us to do was to take footage that was shot with not the high definition film that we have today, but to turn it into a high definition to basically make it crisp I don't know if either of you saw anything that Peter Jackson did in the Beatles documentary, Get Back, Mm -hmm. but he did the same thing where he restored footage shot in 1969 that was shot in 16 millimeter and brought it to widescreen and eliminated the grain and made it look like it was shot yesterday. And we did, using a lot of the same technology, did the same thing with Timothy's footage. So we've brought his work up to technological snuff but the actual immersive experience he went through for 13 years is kind of unreplicatable even today. No one's going to do this. Yeah. No one should do this. Yeah. <laughs> what? Then I have a question to pose to you both. What do you feel then was his message in putting himself, you know, out there in danger? And, you know, what do you think he wanted to tell people the most? That's you, Jewel. That's you. Well, you know, Timothy. <laughs> We, he started out, you know, just kind of, he had had problems with addiction, with drugs and alcohol earlier in life. And he kind of sort of, I guess, needed a purpose, you know, once, once you're sober, 
Um, and I also have said before, and I'll say it again, I mean, he was, he loved animals and he loved educating children. He was really good with both, but he also was a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, you know, that, that kind of, you know, what, what's next. And he was lucky enough before we really got the cameras, he was with some of these animals when they were young. So by the time he got the cameras together, the bears were used to having him in the landscape. You know, did they trust him? I don't know. Did they think he was his friend? You know, who knows? But they definitely accepted him as part of the landscape. So mm. I think with with the fortuitousness of that, like him getting a combination of grit and determination and luck, I think that he really knew that um, he could use this footage to try and educate children. And also it was kind of, he always used to refer to it as the secret world of the grizzly, mm -hmm. because also back then too, you weren't, you might see things like this on, you know, like a, a documentary here and there, but they mostly were, they were places you couldn't really get to. And there are places that if you did want to get to, you know, you'd have to throw down a chunk of change to be able to get in a float plane and get out into the wilderness and be able to, you know, have a camping experience. Mm -hmm. So I think he also wanted to try and bring that to people that at the time never would have been able to do it. Mm -hmm. And also he wasn't, he got a lot of um, flack from biologists because he was out there getting nothing against biologists. I mean, it's very hard. They're very dedicated, but they don't, you know, the, their money's come from doing a more staid, um, like their studies, you know, it's like, how far did they go? You know, where, you know, what did they eat by looking at their scat or by collaring them? And Timothy was able to get in there and just, really see every you know every minute of the bears and the foxes so his i think his message was that he wanted to show everyone the secret world of these magnificent animals which he pretty much credited with saving him mm. you know giving him the epiphany like hey if i have a big fat hangover i, I can't do this yeah. you know if I, if I lose everything because i'm not my eyes on not on the ball and i'm partying this is not gonna happen so I think um, he also wanted to, one of his biggest messages was that uh, he wanted children to realize early on that they are the stewards of the planet that, you know, cause he was in national parks. I mean, technically it's my park, it's your park. You know, it's, it's the American people's park yeah. and that mm -hmm. maybe you should be able to, you know, try and have a say. So just to inspire children rather to, you know, pick up a camera rather than a gun. Yeah. I love that's that. That's what I think powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So important. So important. I think too, it's strange that some of the most, I don't want to say most common, but um, I think that like bears and wolves and sharks are all animals that are like very misunderstood. People don't know. They're just, you know, looked at as like these, like, villain animals they're vilified yes. exactly and it's so you know we don't get that for like lions and tigers because you know we especially as american people specifically don't encounter them you know <laughs> whereas it's like these True, common yeah. animals that we just it it's not really um we're not taught a lot about them unless we go seek that knowledge ourselves so something like this i feel like is really great like you said for kids to get an idea of like you know from from a young age like 
oh, this is what this animal is and is about and what it's like to be around them and the environment that they live in and all of that stuff. Like, I I think that is so incredibly important and isn't really done enough. And especially, you know, like I said, when I was a kid, I loved Animal Planet. I was watching that all the time. And I feel like there were some shows geared towards children, like Jack Hanna was a big one that I watched all the time or like Steve Irwin and stuff, you know, but I feel like that kind of fell out of popularity after a while. So it's great that this is coming now at a time where it's just not around as much anymore, you know? So I'm, I'm glad that his message is coming back out here for people. This is a great time for it to be released. The only sad thing is, of course, that he's not here to see it. Right. You know, I think, Timothy, yeah. we're always mindful, both in making uh, this project in Grizzly Man, is what would Timothy have thought about this. Mm-hmm. He probably would have had a little bit of an eyebrow raise at Grizzly Man because some a lot of the footage that was in that film was not footage he intended for public consumption. Mm-hmm. So I think he would have been more aligned with the new project. But I think he would also have loved to have been in a film directed by... Werner Herzog, and he would have appreciated the respect that Werner treated him with as both a filmmaker and as a kind of a philosopher of nature, even though Treadwell and Werner had very different uh, opinions about nature, different viewpoints. Uh, Werner balanced the two, I think, brilliantly in the film, and that's what gives Grizzly Man its power as part of that, is that dialogue between two visionary filmmakers about the subject of nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I would say that's what you're saying is so important. I think for anyone in the document docu space is to you know think about the person you are telling this life story about and put that at the front, the forefront of how you you know tell the story. You want it to come from them than like your own opinions, because then it you know it kind of ruins the whole point of even doing it. Well, it's a question of trust and legacy, too. Yeah. Uh, certainly in the crime genre, uh, the true crime genre, there's a lot of rather disgraceful uses of misappropriation of people's stories for mm-hmm. uh, ratings and purient reasons. And, you know, they'll reach out to family members and capture them crying and devastated over a crime. And they're not doing this to benefit the family members they're doing it to create potent moments that they can package on a television show and sell advertising for exactly so as the great filmmaker frank capra said only the morally courageous should speak to their countrymen in the dark Mm. and i think in this world of true crime and and uh, some documentaries uh, the filmmakers might be losing sight of that and it's a delicate it's a delicate balance because obviously need funding you need to have your film out there right but at the same time you owe it to the subject of your film a modicum of respect and uh have to always especially if in the case of treadwell they're deceased they're not here anymore you know what do you do how do you how to in jewel when we made grizzly man in this project was very protective of timothy but on the other hand uh was very uh open to allowing quote, the truth, unquote, out. So it was a very delicate balance, but there's no easy solutions to it, but it's something that any filmmaker should really keep in the back of their minds. You know, why am I making this film? Who am I making it with? And what's the point? What's the purpose? Yeah. Yeah, that's very true because, you know, I, whenever I watch documentary, that's something that's um, 
not necessarily someone's life story, but like a an unsolved mystery sort of thing, like like an, on aliens or you know something that we don't have a definite answer for. You always have to think like well, what is this filmmaker's opinion? And a lot of times it's very obvious, you know, they do or do not believe that this particular thing happened. But sometimes you're like, okay, well, we actually are getting objective, you know, both sides here. But even in someone's well, life story, you can have that too, where, where the filmmaker's Well, if they're doing is. films about aliens or Bigfoot, the, the deck is always loaded to believe because that's where the ratings are. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to watch a a film that debunks UFOs or says, well, if there are Bigfoots everywhere and have been Bigfoots, how come they've never discovered any fossilized bones ever anywhere? Yeah. <laughs> end of, end of documentary. <laughs> Just something one could, one, a question one can ask. And I, uh, way back in the day, I was the head writer of Unsolved Mystery. So <gasps> I know what I speak. Oh, so I know, okay. that I know, and I've done my share of, could it be a UFO? We cannot say yes, mm-hmm. but we cannot say no. You know, that's cool. That's cool of filmmaking. And, you know, God bless it. And I'm guilty as charged. But even at the time of doing it, there was a certain cynicism involved. Mm -hmm. And as you sort of mature as an artist, quote unquote, you try to uh, um, learn, learn from your mistakes or sort of analyze differently, which is kind of why I've I've been out away Mm -hmm. from television for quote unquote TV for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I don't regret a second of it. Some of my proudest moments are doing animal attack video shows for Fox TV or busted on the job where the emblematic video is a guy drinking, uh, peeing in the, uh, peeing in the coffee pot of his boss. And, you know, <laughs> oh. I have no, I have no shame in this area yeah. and I'm guilty as charged, but at least, you know, there's a point where you sort of say, okay, let's put aside our childish things and move onwards. This season, FemRegard Podcast is sponsored in part by Celtix, the all-in-one solution for script writing and video production planning. And fam, we've been using them for all our projects. Celtics has been providing valuable script writing and pre-production tools for creators for 20 years, and their cloud-based studio just keeps getting better and better. One recent addition we love is the multi-column AV script editor. This script format combines traditional script writing with storyboarding and shot planning for a visual-driven script writing experience. With this unique script template, you can script write, storyboard, and create shot lists in the same document, easily prepare professional, presentation-ready documents for your team and clients, and work collaboratively. With real-time collaborative script editing, secure sharing links, revision tracking, and comments features. And... Celtics's multi-column AV script editor is completely connected to all tools in the Celtics studio for faster and easier to manage pre-production workflow. Head to Celtics.com, that's C-E-L-T-X.com, to create your free two-project Celtics account and to learn more about Celtics's multi-column AV script editor. When you sign up, you'll get unlimited access to Celtics's full suite of tools for your first seven days. Celtics, the all-in-one solution for script writing and video production planning. Tessa, I'm seriously digging Jambox. The fam needs to hear about their extensive music and sound effect library. I agree. Not only do they have a huge library created by Hollywood-level composers, but you can search through it all based on criteria like genre and mood. Plus... They even have detailed stems you can use to create your own soundtracks from the elements they provide. You can literally be your own composer. 6,000 unique tracks and tens of thousands of stems. 
plus over 10,000 sound effects. Carolina, that's amazing. Oh, it gets better. They even gave us a discount code for our listeners. 10% off with Fem10. Connecting filmmakers with ridiculously good music and sound effects. Go and visit jambox.io and start leveling up your sound production. Exactly. Again, that's code FEM, F-E-M-M-E, 10 at jambox.io. I think I like that what you said, the two aspects of, of, and I'm going to butcher exactly what you said verbatim, but you know, why should you be telling this story? Um, and the second thing, well, you always ask yourself why, and I wanted to just focus that that's just the beauty on both sides of documentary or, you know, writing a fictional narrative. Um, so I love that crossover. It's still, well, but fictional narratives, though, you have, it's fictional, so you have an enormous amount of latitude. And Absolutely. if you're adapting a life story, you're getting the rights. You know, there's dances that have to be made, yeah. but that's a different playing field. The documentary is by nature reality. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of conversations with Werner about this because he would talk about the ecstatic truth versus the accountant's truth. Mm-hmm. And he said the accountant's truth is, you know, film a phone book if you want the accountant's truth. The ecstatic truth is a larger truth that emerges from the real material. And, you know, it's an interesting debate, but there are few filmmakers alive today who you can trust with the ecstatic truth. And Herzog's one of the very few. So he, he gets away with it. Plus, he's also obviously made extraordinary narrative fiction films. Mm-hmm. So, and, and documentary he, filmmakers don't normally insert themselves as much as Werner does into his films. Well, that's his film. I mean, his yeah, film exactly. is him. It's his, it's his narration. It's his portrayal. It's his vision. But by doing that, he's showing his hand. Mm-hmm. What I have issue with are filmmakers who rig, rig the deck, who put... Uh, you know, distort things or aren't in the film, but are, are warping the story for their own ends and not being transparent about it. And there's been a few examples of that recently where I think you have to just be very careful. Uh, and and is that by know, just subjectively withholding certain, you know, facts? Withholding facts, setting up a structure, cutting an interview before there's a second part that contradicts the first, yeah. um, you know, getting research just basically wrong you know, there's, you know, mm-hmm. standards should be high. Agreed. And, you know, it's, it's, again, there's a market and I look at true crime documentaries, you know, that, that, that sort of, that's a huge popular genre right now. Um, and sometimes let's just say the, the, the editorial is not as rigorous as it should be. People yeah. are going out uh, to develop these things and interviewing people in jail who are honestly there falsely getting their hopes up, getting access to all their materials, coming back three or four times. And then ultimately the network decides not to do the project. And these people were counting on this project, you know, getting them out of jail. Mm-hmm. And what, what are you going to say to the people? Oh, sorry. Yeah. And in some cases they're not telling the filmmakers aren't telling the uh, prisoners that it's not our decision whether this project goes. So it's, you know, there's some very queasy, queasy decisions being made that yeah. I think could be, uh, there could be uh, 
discussed more openly amongst the filmmakers. Let's put it that way. Yeah. No, I, I really love that you bring that to the forefront because, again, this is not a territory we, like, get into. And it's just, um, as true crime fans, I think it's really, it, it's, it takes, we should take pause to think about that more, you know? Well, it's like, what's the point of telling the story about another mother who lost a daughter to a serial killer who there's been four or five other shows about or re-exhuming the crimes again and again and again, yeah. you know, where you, you know, it's fine if it's Silence of the Lambs or it's a, a Hannibal uh, or a, a mythical serial killer, but the sort of endless fascination with Ted Bundy or Richard Ramirez or any, the, you know, the serial killer documentary genre at a certain point, it's like, all right, enough already. You know, what are you adding to the discussion other than just the sense that people watch this thing because as bad as their lives are, they can say, yeah, but <laughs> these people had it even worse than me. And I think th there's, there's a correlation, I think, between the audience for these of people. Uh, interestingly enough, women. Mm -hmm. uh, it's I would say the true crime genre, overwhelmingly the audience is women. Yeah. They have conventions for it and the demographic breakdowns, uh, which I find surprising. And I can't answer that question. Your, your podcast deals with these issues, mm -hmm. but you think, yeah. you think that, you know, in that this would be an abhorrent discussion, not glorifying, but wallowing in these crimes and wallowing in the, the, the victims and the women, especially, or often are victimized would exactly. back away from it. It's exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. There's a book by an author named Rachel Monroe. I forget the title, but uh, Rachel Monroe, she writes for the New Yorker. And it's all about this unpacking the true crime genre. She goes to the conventions they have. There's little annual conventions where people go to meet the authors, to meet the filmmakers, to kind of, and again, I hate to say it, the attendance is probably 80% female. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, you know, I have no answer to that, but it's an interesting area that I don't think has either academically or thematically been approached. You could do a documentary on the genre that would mm -hmm. be interesting. Yeah, I yeah. completely agree. I mean, it's similar also to like reality TV, which, you know, I'm not going to compare reality TV to documentaries. No, but... you, you can. You, it's, it's all the same thing. Reality yeah. TV is... Mm -hmm. uh, well, when I was doing films with guys doing hideous things in their boss's uh, coffee cup, I would say that uh, uh, mm -hmm. I would I would curate reality. I yeah. wouldn't create reality. Mm -hmm. And a reality show, quote unquote, they're creating a, a engineering a situation where people who want to be on television are knowingly immersing themselves in a situation. So it's a hybrid where yeah. I would do shows that would curate it, which is this happened, somebody caught it on tape. Now, they're both disreputable genres, frankly. Uh, I'm not holding myself up as an example, but I was. Uh, it, it does raise a lot of interesting issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's the same kind of uh, question to pose. It is like, you know, why do people love reality TV so much? They love seeing these people in these chaotic situations. And again, is it because they aren't experiencing that and they can say, oh, my life is better. Is it because they're just bored? You know, who well, knows the, what the, the answer the is. The good but... ones have, you know, the good ones have honest competition. Mm -hmm. You know, they have all sorts of things going on and they're, they're immaculate things. They're, they're, they're brilliantly produced, crafted, and they work. Their genre wouldn't be so successful. Mm -hmm. um, I just, you know, personally, it's not a genre I'm really that interested in. And one of the reasons I sort of turned my attentions professionally from television to uh, uh, feature documentaries was the the 
documentary on television genre was either becoming true crime or becoming reality. Mm -hmm. A cast, you know, let's follow crab fishermen. Let's follow people who build motorcycles. Let's follow this and that. And these aren't documentaries because once the cameras are rolling, everybody acts differently and their success, if the shows become successful by nature, they're gonna act differently. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned earlier, all every, for every guy you're seeing up in the woods, there's a camera crew following them. Yeah. What about yeah, the camera exactly. crew? So it, it, there's just an artifice to it that is fine. And, you know, obviously it's very successful and it works and is popular. I just think that I'd either, I'd either prefer to watch completely fictional work, which of which there's an abundance, mm -hmm. or uh, immaculately conceived and produced documentaries I don't want to see an uneasy mixture of the two, Did unless, of course, it's Squid Game. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Love that. Do you remember, I, I'm sure we sent it to you 15 years ago, but uh, the person who produced the soundtrack to uh, a grizzly man, Henry Kaiser, his day job is he is a research scientist in Antarctica. Mm. Oh, yes. So he went down to Antarctica before... Uh, Almost a year before Grizzly Man came out, he had a rough cut of Grizzly Man and he went down to Antarctica and that movie at McMurdo Station became a cult favorite. And they actually shot, the scientists shot a version of Grizzly Man called Seal Man with- uh, wow. with, Oh, yes. Remember Seal Man? It was I a note for- So this Man. is a case where there's a parody of Grizzly Man filmed in Antarctica with research scientists that's complete and finished like six months before the actual movie is released, wow. so our, our movie's released, which sort of shows the power of that. Yeah. Um, uh, and then ironically, the next Herzog film after Grizzly Man was filmed at McMurdo Station mm. with Henry Kaiser producing. And that's the film that got the Oscar nomination. So wow. it's funny how the world works. Yeah. But uh, so Herzog was a cult figure at McMurdo Station after Grizzly Man. So that's an exclusive for you. No one's ever, we've never told that story before. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. Love it. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, is there any last takeaways about the project that, you know, you would like to share with our audience? And of course, we're going to ask you where they can absolutely see it. Well, I'll do both. I would say that, uh, again, it's available. I just checked it out. It's available on Amazon for rent, on uh, Apple TV for rent or download or purchase. Amazing. And uh, get thee to watch it. Uh, I think it's seven ninety nine on Amazon for three hours, which is a pretty damn good price. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, watch it on the biggest screen you can uh, yes. with the sound up. I wouldn't publicly endorse eating an edible before it, but it couldn't hurt. <laughs> and um, uh, there it is. And the the work and Timothy Treadwell really speak for itself. And if you like Diary of the Grizzly Man and you haven't seen Grizzly Man, then go watch Grizzly Man afterwards or not, or watch them both together. They both inform and feed each other. But the key is they're there and uh, mm -hmm. it is a very immersive three, one hour. So you can watch one. You don't have to binge it, but I think once you get going, it works. Yeah. Jewel? And one more question about that too. Did you decide to do it in the um, like series format just because of the amount of footage you had or? Well, yeah, series, you know, traditional feature documentary is going to be an hour and a half. Yeah. It's my rule, not other filmmakers, that no documentary should be allowed to be more than an hour and 45 minutes long. Um, so that would be half the length of this if we did that. Yeah. And uh, three hours is a great 
streaming bite-sized morsel for attention deficit starved people <laughs> like us who have to glance at their phones every five seconds. So uh, if it was in a theater, you know, we'd show all three hours together or something, but you know, the delivery mechanism sometimes dictates the form and content in this case. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, this we think is the best form for this. Plus each hour has its own arc to it. And the final hour definitely shows the impending doom of Timothy Treadwell. We don't shy away from that, but there's a lot more in it about what the bear and, you know, the, the things coming together and um, more of an ID on the bear. The bear that would, we believe, kill Timothy is definitely a, a personality in the last episode. Whoa. So it's, it, it does have a, it does sort of come at you. So there's that. Jewel, I mean, what do you think? You're, you know, you're... Um I think there are there are many reasons to watch it, especially for you know people of of your generation looking at kind of like we were talking about the first sort of starts of of someone being a selfie king. Um, it, you'll love it if you like wildlife. Um, you'll love it if you've um, never uh, that part of Alaska is not really there's there's not a lot of footage about it, and I think you see somebody that was. Um, what he likes to call himself a kind warrior. Mm -hmm. You know, someone in the early days really fighting the fight with good humor, good attitude, and um, and fun. I love that. I'm excited to watch. I've been waiting until yeah. today's release day. So yeah, and listeners, um, while you're you're going to be listening to this a little bit later, but we're recording today on January 11th. So today's the big release day and make sure you guys rent it, download it, all of those things. Um, also, Jewel and Eric, is there anything you want to plug for yourselves? Any sort of social media websites, anything like that? No, not for me. Uh, uh, Jewel, though, your grizzly, you know, your your organization is well represented online. So where do you, where where do you go to find out more about grizzly people? Grizzly people right now is kind of going through a rejiggering, especially after the pandemic. You know, board members redefining roles and and seeing what exactly we can do now that. Um, now that there is a good, you know, children are used to sitting at home. People are used to to learning more by a computer. So we're we're trying to put things together that would really speak to that. Uh, a, you know, more of a lesson plan that's viable that way. Um, I can also send you a link. Uh, Etsy is not cooperating with me right now, but there is a little um, venue uh, Treadwell photos on Etsy. Okay, but ladies, I can send you. It's the the store is not. It'll be functional by Friday. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, definitely it's, send it's us been that. Kind of yeah. bugging on me a little bit, so I can um, I can send you guys a link, and if people are interested, and in, you know, just just taking a look at at all of his uh, his um, library of photos. And to carry on the edibles theme, I do host a radio show. <laughs> yeah. I do host a radio show every Saturday at twelve PST on a radio station called KSQD. Mm -hmm. Squid, K squid. Like, uh, now we're <laughs> calling theme. back to my octopus, my octopus teacher. Oh so my god! And Squid Games. We just if you're have a fan, it. Yeah. If you're a fan of the and Squid Games, if you're a fan of the Grateful Dead, um, uh, <gasps> smoke them if you've got them. And if you're uh, listening to this podcast, you probably got them. And you hosts probably know where they've got them. So, um, <laughs> uh, so that's uh, yeah. That's that, that'll be my personal plug there. Completely I'm unrelated. Where can you listen? Yeah, yeah, where where can you tune in? I'm sorry, I missed that. Uh, it, well, it's, it's streamed on K. You just go KSQD on okay. Google, and uh, it's streamed <laughs> live at uh, uh, noon PST, Pacific Standard Time, 
and it's archived there too. So if Amazing. you want to check it out. Yeah, I want to check it out. It's called the Grateful Dead Zone. So uh, what can I say? It's what I do to keep from working. (laughs) I love it. Our Geekscape Network would love that. Amazing. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Eric and Jewel. This was such an insightful and a beautiful look into the documentary space. Um, Really, you just nailed the heart of it. To, oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, ladies. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. Um, and we're both super excited to watch. So, yeah. Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in every Friday for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals. We can only grow with your support. So please subscribe, share, rate, and review. You can also join the FemFam on Patreon. For more on us, check us out at femregard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.